Ephesians chapter 4. We had left off in verse 6, so today we're going to do verses 7 through 16. And then after today, we're going to push pause. We're taking a time out on Ephesians, and up through Christmas, we're going to go into Matthew, and we're going to be looking at the Christmas story. So I'm looking forward to going there with you starting next week. And then we'll return to Ephesians, and we'll pick up in verse 17 in, uh, in January. So it's going to be good. Actually, that New Year's Day service is probably going to have a testimony aspect to it. So I'm looking forward to sharing and hearing testimonies, good news, of what the Lord has been doing. We'll be emphasizing that a lot more on that service. Ephesians 4, verse 7 is where we picked up. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high... He led a host of of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up For the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together, joined and held together by every joint with which it is supplied. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit right now to open up the eyes of our hearts so we would see the richness in these verses God, there's so much more than I'll be able to unpack. There's so much more than I see. There's so much more than the English language could satisfy. But the Holy Spirit can do all things. You are the teacher that we rely on. You are the one that we're trusting in. So open up the eyes of all of our hearts so that we would see and know and understand what you're doing and how you're working through us, what you've already accomplished. Let us see it, God. Bring us revelation. Bring us revelation in such a way that leads us to action. Help us to live the life worthy of the calling. We thank you for it today, and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to spend a lot of our emphasis this morning in the second portion. i got to put an envelope under this thing because my pulpit won't stop rocking, and it's driving me crazy. So we got to assure this table up. That ain't it. We'll make it work. All right. Now I won't be annoyed by that and distracted the whole time I'm preaching. So we're going to spend the, the most of our emphasis on the second portion of the text here. Uh, not, that we don't, not that there's anything that we want to avoid, but at the same time, uh, the verses 9, 10, um, there's a lot of mystery surrounding those. 
And rather than belaboring and telling you how much mystery there is around those and how much interpretation there can be around those, we'll just say God is good, his word is good, and uh, there's different assumptions and teachings. So I'll hit it really quickly, and then we'll move on. So in saying he ascended, so talking about Jesus, he ascended into heaven, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? So some take that to mean that this is where Jesus was in between his crucifixion and his resurrection, because he was somewhere. You don't stop being in places when you're dead. You're always somewhere. We know that he preached to the spirits uh, that were in uh, paradise. They were in Abraham's bosom. So there's different verses and there's different understandings on where Jesus was, what he went and accomplished during that time. Wherever he was, I can tell you this, that is exactly where he was. That's for sure. Um, That much I'm certain. That is a theological truth that Jesus is king and he did exactly what he wanted to do. Uh, there, there are those who say that that's what this is referencing. Others think it's just referencing the fact that he ascended and previously he had descended to the earth through his incarnation to come as a man. Which is it? Well, it, neither is one I'm willing to pound the pulpit over. I just know God is good. God has sacrificed for us. God has uh, descended. He has come down to a place that he created. He has humbled himself. We see a lot of what he's done, and it's good, and there's a lot to be enjoyed and worship. There's richness here, but as far as the do we have to have a definitive answer on what this is saying, uh, it's, it's worth studying because God's word is good. But we're going to continue past that into some other verses now. So he, had dis- he descended, so he also ascended far above all the heavens. So in Scripture, whenever we see heavens, whenever I was a kid, I just thought heaven always meant the place where God's throne was. But in Scripture, there's lots of different words for heaven, and a lot of times it's referencing the air. So the heavens right above us, throughout Scripture, the clouds would have been considered one area of heavens. And then there's the space, outer space, and stars. That's another level of heavens. And then there's you know, the highest heaven. This is what some folks think when Paul's talking about when he was going to other heavens, and people are like, what's all that about? Well, it's most likely that he was saying, we as- I ascended to this place through a vision from a gifting of the Holy Spirit. Something supernatural was going on, but, but Paul was saying he probably went past these areas and ascended through some miracle of God, and the Lord showed him some, some special things and some particular things. So Jesus, where did he ascend to? It's interesting because it says he went up into the clouds. He ascended. He went up. I mean, I would think he would vanish, but it seems to me that heaven is a place that he went to. He didn't just, I'm going to heaven now, but he actually ascended into heaven. Again, what's your point there, Pastor? Well, the point is, let's just take the word for what it says. Uh, Jesus went up to heaven. So heaven is there somewhere. I don't think heaven is out there like Mars is out there in the same sense. Um, But everything, all of God's creation, it has to exist within God. They say the universe is expanding. Okay, I'll take their word for it. If that's the case, what is it expanding into? It would have to be God himself. He's the only eternal thing, creation. If it's going to have any sustenance and ability and foundation, it has to be God himself. So Jesus ascended into heaven that he might fill all things, which is exactly what the word of God tells us he does. He fills all things. He sustains all things. He holds all things together. Christ Jesus does. Jesus is the one who... He is actually the one who created everything. It's by the word of God, which is the son of God, Jesus himself. It's by the word of God that everything was created. It's for Jesus that everything was created. He's the purpose. He's the reason. He's holding it together. He ascends. He's saying mission accomplished. When he ascends into heaven, he's saying, I have initiated my final work in the earth. 
I have planted the seed of my church, and now it is going to sprout. It is going to grow. It is the kingdom of God. What did he say? It's like a mustard seed. It's small at the beginning, but it continues to expand and to grow and to develop. And eventually, all the birds can come and rest in its shade. This is a picture for what God wants for his church in the earth. This is the point. We want every place on earth to be filled with disciples of God. We want the earth to be filled with his glory. And the way that the earth is going to be filled with his glory is when the earth is filled with people who are glorifying God. The earth does not need a king. It already has one. His name is Jesus. The earth needs obedient disciples. And that's where you and I come in. We were rescued and redeemed to become obedient disciples. Well, what does an obedient disciple do? I'm glad you asked. An obedient disciple makes more disciples who glorify the king. An obedient disciple shares the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. The same way that Jesus did for three years. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the good news of the kingdom. This is good news. There is a king. I didn't know it. I know you didn't. That's why I'm telling you. There's a king. He's worthy of your praise, worship, honor, and adoration. Bend the knee. Kiss the son. He loves you. God is good. Repent of your sins and receive the grace of God. This is the good news that he's equipped us for, prepared us for. Let's keep going. He gave gifts to men. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So in verse 11, we see what sometimes is called the five-fold ministry. So some would, would see this, and this is how I understand these verses, to see that these are Uh, leadership gifts in the body of Christ, different roles, different responsibilities. And I think much has been made in the body of Christ over those gifts. And they have a place, and I think it's good to understand them. I think it's also possible to overemphasize those gifts. I think it's possible to make those gifts the thing instead of recognizing what was the point of the gifts. The point was not to go, oh, let me. I want to do an 18-part series on telling you how pastor I am of pastoring uh, so you can understand that I am the pastor, and then you can know what it means for me to be your pastor, and at the end of the day, you know, you can kiss my ring. Um, so that's not the direction we want to go with any of that. We want to understand what is the point of any of these gifts? Well, he tells us right away. He gave these gifts. Who did he give the gift to? The body. The body. He loves his body. Jesus loves his church. So does he give gifts to his church? Yeah, I love Natalie, so I give her gifts. The gifts aren't the thing. Natalie's the thing. So because Natalie is the thing, I love to give Natalie gifts. The gift is special. It's important. It's to be honored. But it's about Natalie. That was the point. So in the same way, God loves his church. So yes, does he give us gifts? Are they to be honored, understood, and learned about? Yeah, but today we're going to emphasize who he gives them to. He gives them to the church. He gives these gifts to his body. Why? Because he wants to equip his saints for the work of the ministry, which is funny because we thought... These other five guys were supposed to be doing the work of the ministry. So right away, this is kind of a flip. These guys are in the full-time ministry. We find out that's not the case. All saints are to be in the full-time ministry. Every Christian, welcome to the full-time ministry. Welcome to the army of God. Welcome to the point. You are the point. God loves you and he equips you. God is not raising up one man to bring in an end times harvest. He's not using one man. He's not using one ministry. He's not using, um, this is, I, don't, I don't believe there's going to be any more, um, I could be wrong. I don't believe there's going to be any other big time guys like it. This is the one who's going to carry the whole revival. I think the Lord is continuing to emphasize the work through his saints. That's what I see the Lord doing in the earth right now. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 
I see a lot of ministries, and I see a lot of other leaders, pastors, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers. Did I leave somebody out? Anyway, you know them all. That's, that's what I see him emphasizing. That's what I see the Holy Spirit doing. He's actually bringing the five-fold ministry leaders to recognize the need and the importance to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And, of course, that's our DNA from day one is me telling you that, me teaching you, hey, yes. I want to equip you. And on top of that, I have to be a disciple maker just like you. I have a seat right here just like anybody else where I'm going, I, I'm a part of the body of Christ. I have the additional role and responsibility of the pulpit and shepherding and pastoring. But I don't, I'm not outside of the need and the command to make disciples. I just have the additional role of leading and shepherding the church in particular and equipping you for ministry. So this is his point, to equip the saints. Thank you, babe. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. Primary mission number one for a saint. What am I supposed to do? One another. We take care of one another. And then what do we do? We take care of the world. We make sure that we are well cared for in the body of Christ. And we see that in, in the early church. We see that in the book of Acts. We see there is a, the love, the devotion to one another is automatic. It's assumed. It's foundational. And then beyond that, they go, now let's go out together, which Jesus did. He sent out teams. He sent out groups. He sent them in pairs, pairs of two. Go out into the villages. Go out, proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And they go out. They obey the word. We're in the same position. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The leaders are not to do, the leaders are not to do all the work of the ministry, but to disciple and train the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's what good leadership will do. That's true in any case. Good leadership anywhere, not just the church, is always looking to raise somebody else up. Good leadership is not sitting around going, I just need to remind you guys, I'm the leader. Good leadership is always going, be raised up, be raised up, be equipped, be equipped, be equipped. In your particular calling, that is the responsibility of leadership. That is what the burden of command is. The burden of command is to make sure the mission is fulfilled and then make sure God is working through his people in the way that he's supposed to. Not that the leader gets credit, not that anybody gets credit, other than the Lord himself, because Jesus is building his church. Jesus gave these gifts to the church. Jesus is the gift giver. Jesus chose who he gave them to. So you are in the full-time ministry. A mature believer is in the full-time ministry, and the more they serve others, the more a believer, sorry, the more mature a believer is, the more they will serve others with what they've been given. So maturity is a it's a spectrum. We continue to grow. We continue to go up higher and higher and higher. The more mature you are, the more you will serve others with what you've been given. The more mature a believer is, the more they will identify with their role as a minister to others. So when I was first a husband and first a father, this was just like another thing. It was good. I loved it. I loved my wife. I loved my children, but I was immature. I didn't understand. Uh, I was thinking that these new roles were, were supplemental rather than fundamental. And there's a difference. And that's the difference in maturity. With immature, uh, an immature thinking is goes, okay, now I'm also a Christian. You know, I was this and I was this and I was this. Oh, and now I can add this to the mix too. I'm also a Christian. Uh, Christianity is supplemental to my life instead of fundamental. No, this is the, this reset everything in the same way that becoming a husband, that resets everything apart from the foundation that's already there of being a Christ follower. So being a Christian is first. 
But then being a husband, that's a fundamental change in my life, in my calling, in my responsibility. Being a father, another fundamental change. Not a, oh, another thing. Oh, another thing. Oh, another thing. Now, these are foundational pieces that change everything else. And the same thing is true for the Christian. We have to have this revelation from the Holy Spirit where we understand that my walk with God is not, oh, also, I do Christian stuff. Oh, I also, I love Jesus. Also, I read a Bible. No, fundamental, I belong to God. I love him. I know him. I want him. He's the point of everything. You remove him, everything becomes truly meaningless, truly, in every sense of the word. Pointless, meaningless, empty, and impossible. So understanding what our role is, is what helps us to mature. Now, this happens over time. This isn't to condemn us, but this is to challenge us. Am I the same believer that I was two years ago? Am I the same believer that I was two years ago? Is my understanding the same? Is my devotion the same? Is my discipline the same? Are my sins the same? Am I in the same place that I was two years ago? That's dangerous. That's bad news. That's scary. I want to continue to mature and continue to grow until this is so clear that this is my identity that I have attained to the unity of the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God. The, the scripture calls this mature manhood. That's the difference between thinking like a boy, oh, I'm a husband now, neat, <laughs> versus thinking like a man and understanding what does it mean to be a husband. I'm still learning what these things mean, but I'm not a novice anymore and I'm growing in my maturity. There's a, there's a scene called 300. It's about the Spartans who uh, they went to Thermopylae they fought with only 300 men, and they ended up losing. But it was a pretty epic story because they went to fight, even though they knew what the odds were. But they were met by other Greeks who were coming to fight with them, thousands of other Greeks. Uh, they said probably uh, about 7,000 other Greeks came to fight with them against the Persians. But when they met them in the wilderness, uh, they said, the, the Greeks who came up to, to Leonidas, he said, what are you doing with just this handful of men? And Leonidas, he looked at the men that he had. He said, I have more soldiers with me than you have with you. And he said, how so? And he said, well, you there, what's, what's your profession? He says, I'm a potter. And he says, okay, a potter. He said, what's your profession? He says, oh, I'm, I'm a blacksmith. And he goes, all right, I'm a blacksmith. You, what's your profession? I'm a farmer. And he's just guys, they're coming to do their duty, but that's what they are. He turns back and he says, Spartans, what is your profession? And they all just raise up their spears. And they just go, ooh, ooh, ooh. And you're just like, ugh. And, and all the farmer guys are just kind of like, oh my goodness. Like, <laughs> those guys are different from us. There's something different over there. So this is the difference between like, what is your profession? Well, you know, I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. And also, I'm coming to be a Christian today. Versus the guy, what is your profession? Ooh, ooh, King Jesus, the kingdom, his glory, his honor, the fight, crucifying the flesh. The work of the ministry, equipping the saints, seeing to it that the glorious kingdom of God expands so that Satan does not have one square inch on the earth. So that not one person that I know can say that they have not heard the good news of the gospel of the kingdom from me. That they don't recognize and know that the light of God is present in my life. I don't care what the odds against me are. I know that we're always going to be a minority. I know that, I know that there's, the, there's going to be the oppression of the world and the persecution to the church. It's not a problem. It's not a pro- I know the wicked Persians are going to do what wicked Persians do. It's okay. We win no matter what. And that was interestingly enough a view that Spartans had as well. They're like, what if you die in battle? They're like, 
hope to die in battle. So in the same way, the church goes, it's not, my life is not mine. It's not mine anymore. A, a mature man understands that about being a husband. You lay down your life for your bride. A mature father understands that. It's my life's not mine anymore. A mature Christian understands what is my life? Yeah, Who am I? I'm nothing. No, God loves you so much. Now, I know God loves me so much, but it's because of that I come to this conclusion to realize I don't matter. He matters. It's not that I'm not loved. It's not that I'm not valuable. It's just that what is my life that it can't be poured out? If the king himself didn't stop to pour out his own blood, why is my blood so special? Why is my blood so worthy? If King Jesus saw fit to lead the way by example in sacrifice, why would I hold on to anything I have? Well, because I really like my life a lot. And there comes the problem. There's the challenge. This is where your immaturity is, John Michael, because you still love your life. But the scripture says at the end, the saints who don't love their life unto the death. That means they were willing to give it up. They weren't going, my life is special. My life's unique. I mean, don't get me wrong. You are to love yourself. That's a biblical command. But when you understand you're in the full-time ministry, when you understand you're a full-time soldier, it changes the way you live. You become equipped and you don't get entangled in civilian affairs is what Paul told Mm -hmm. Timothy. You aim to please the one who recruited and brought you in. You aim to please the the one that you're serving. Civilian affairs, that's civilian. There's so many civilian affairs saints that are tempting us, that are drawing us in. Civilian affairs, civilian affairs, civilian affairs. We need to get used to calling it that. That's civilian stuff. When you start to get stressed, when you start to get overwhelmed, that's civilian stuff. I don't have time. I'm focused on mission. I've got a bigger mission. I'm not going to get entangled with civilian affairs. That's the target for the saints. What is your profession? I'm in the full-time ministry. I serve my church through fellowship, through study of the word, among other things. And I serve the world by bringing the good news of the kingdom. How do we do that? What does that look like? Let's keep going here. Verse 15 gives us a glimpse of what it looks like to serve the world. Rather, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. How do I serve the world? Speak the truth in love. So that means my motive is love. My motive is genuinely love. It's not fake. It's not an excuse for me to be mean or cruel to someone to shame them or condemn them. My motive is genuinely love. But at the same time, if I have genuine love, it will always make me tell the truth. It will always make me tell the truth. If you always hear things from the pulpit that never offend, that never bother, that you never think, too far, if you never have that experience with me, you know, you can know that I don't love you because I, because I care more about what you think about me rather than about actually loving you with truth. Again, good parents, do we care about what the two-year-old says when we're trying to put the two-year-old in the car seat and they're like, like having a conniption and you're trying to pin them down like, you know what? I don't think he likes this. We're just going to not put him in today because he's, it, it's clearly traumatic. Obviously, he's losing his mind. Um, it would be unloving to put him in the car seat. Nobody believes that. Nobody thinks that way. And in the same way, my love has to be my motivating force for, for all the truth that I speak. I am going to buckle you into this car seat because I love you, you little booger. And so can, can there be frustration? Can there be challenge? I think that's obvious. There is and there will be, um, and there's friction. But when I actually love somebody, 
I can do this. It's hard, though. It's the manly thing to do. It's the mature thing to do, which is why he references mature manhood. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So he's referencing our sanctification, that this is a process. We're going to keep growing up. The kids keep growing up. The Christians keep growing up as well. We're going to keep growing up. But we don't want to have this idea that I'm as Christian as I've ever been or, or that I'm as Christian as I'm ever going to be. Like, this is it for me. I don't want to be challenged to any other level. You're in the wrong place. You picked the wrong team. Team Jesus is always about continuous growth and maturity. And Salt Church in particular, I hope, makes you very, very uncomfortable if you want to stay comfortable. So I've heard it said one of the jobs of a believer is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted. Or to afflict the comfortable. So, so if you get too comfortable, I want you afflicted. Um, and, if you're, and if you're afflicted, then I want to comfort you. But what, the right thing at the right time. Speaking the truth in love. It's the mature thing to do. To mature manhood. Fully developed people. There's a way to be fully developed physically. Right? Every husband. You look at your wife, you go, praise God. She's a fully developed woman. So that's a good thing physically. There's a, there's a way we can be fully developed Emotionally, we can continue to develop emotionally in our personalities. We call that emotional maturity, right? You know, uh, I, if, if a three-year-old comes up to me and says, you're a meanie poo-poo head, like, that probably isn't going to ruin my day. I'm probably, I'm probably going to be okay, and I can probably navigate that thing. Um, there's, there's different things. But, but when I was three, that probably would have done me in. I don't know. So, but there's a way to keep developing. The same thing is true for our spiritual life. There's a way to keep growing to mature, fully developed people. We must reject the idea, though, that, that this is it or, or that we're here. So what does he compare and contrast mature manhood with? Well, he compares mature manhood with being like children. This is the picture. Unto mature manhood, in verse 14, so that we may no longer... Why do we want to be a mature man? So that we may no longer be... Children. Well, what's wrong with being children? Well, he explains, tossed to and fro, back and forth, tossed all over the place. You're not choosing this. This is happening to you, and you can't stop it because you're a child. Nobody's mad at you for being a child. You're a child. It's okay. It's okay to be a child, but you're expected to mature. You're expected to grow. It's good to be seven, but it's right to turn eight, and then it's right to turn nine. Even though we don't want our sugar to turn eight. We're having a hard time thinking about it. (laughs) But we love him, so we know everything happens at the right time in a healthy environment. A healthy thing is a growing thing. A healthy child is a growing child. So we no longer want to be like children. Why? Because a child can be tossed to and fro by the waves. What is he talking about here? What kind of waves? Are Are we out at sea? No. Carried about by every wind of doctrine. This is his concern. He's concerned about false doctrine. He's concerned about bad teaching. And he's concerned about us not knowing the difference. Why? Because we don't know the word of God. Because a child doesn't know the word of God. A mature man knows and studies and applies the word of God. He learns the word of God so that he won't be thrown back and forth. Any any charismatic teacher shows up and says something. He goes, man, I like that guy's personality. Well, I do too. But let's make sure we're measuring everything by the word. Man, I really like this. Well, I like things too. But let's make sure we come back to the word for safety, 
for wisdom, for perspective, for absolute final truth. Man, I really like, I like stuff too now, but let's make sure the word has the final say. This is the ultimate filter for everything that we're processing. He wants to protect us from, the Holy Spirit wants to protect you from false teaching and from human manipulation. So that was the first thing he says, every wind of doctrine. And then he says, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Human cunning, craftiness, clever plans, a scheme, somebody working against you. This could be a a human in their own flesh. This could be a human working through the influence of Satan, demonic presence, demonic oppression. But brothers and sisters, the word of God is so safe. The Bible is so good. If you will be hungry and thirsty for the Bible, if you will love the word of God, you will be so protected. If you will read the book of Proverbs and continue to study the wisdom of God there, it will blow you away at how, how wise and protected you will become from the cunning schemes of men. There's so much nonsense. There's so much deception. And it's not anything that anybody could police for you. It's nothing that I could look over the shoulder and, and speak into your life in every scenario. The Holy Spirit is your teacher, and he will teach you through the word of God. He will take a verse, and he will light it upon your moment. He will take a verse, and he will use that as a candle to light the room where, where there was darkness for you. You thought, man, I'm so stuck in my business, and you're in your word, and next thing you know, the Holy Spirit's showing you something. You're going, I'm so... I'm so frustrated in this relationship and the word of God lights something else up to you and shows you God will show you how to live. It pleases the Lord to teach his people how to live. That would include our theological understandings of God and that would include our how do I live like on a Tuesday though? Because God built us to live on Tuesdays. Oh no, everything's just about living in heaven and just staring in his eyes forever. I look forward to living in heaven and I look forward to staring into his eyes And yes, he also built you for a Tuesday. It was his idea to put Adam and Eve into a garden. It was was a purpose and a part of life. So we look forward to the eternal kingdom and all things being perfected, but we look back to the garden to remember his original intention. Thanks, babe. I'm dropping the ball today. We look forward to what he's going to do, and at the same time, we can look back and know, what did he intend? Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day. This This is the good life. We're with God and he wants us to build and cultivate and he wants us to marry and love one another and have children and encourage the church. All this brings him glory. So speaking the truth in love, that's, that's what we're getting back to now. Love is the motive. It's the reason that you're speaking up at all. But what are the substitutes to speaking the truth in love? Well, you could say nothing at all. What's wrong with saying nothing at all? Well, saying nothing at all is not loving. Saying nothing at all is letting the two-year-old sit where they want to in the car instead of making them get into the car seat. Well, I'm just going to do... No, you're going to... You care more about the two-year-old liking you than you do doing what's best for the two-year-old. This is the same temptation that we have with those that we love. We say that we love them, but I love myself maybe too much because I don't want them to think ill of me. I don't want them to think poorly of me. I don't want to push that button. So... I'll say that I'll pray for him. Well, if I pray for him, eventually the Holy Spirit's going to lead me to talk to him. So saying nothing's not an option. That's not loving. It's not loving if I don't pursue the good thing for somebody else. And obviously speaking a lie is just appeasement. Speaking lies and appeasement. Yeah, 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 that's fine. I'm okay. No, we don't need to bring that up. No, we don't need to mention this. No, I don't need to mention the name of Jesus like my brother was sharing last week. The name of Jesus. 
the name of Jesus, using Jesus's name in conversation, using Jesus's name, referencing him as king, even, even better than saying I'm a Christian because everybody's a Christian. Chick-fil-A is a Christian. Everything can be a Christian, it seems. But using the name of Jesus, it's a distinctive. It is a fundamental way to be able to go farther in, in conversations and in relationships in your ministry. Why do I need to know all this? Because you're in the full-time ministry, remember? What are you equipping me for? For the works of ministry. So you can serve the body of Christ and so you can serve the world. So think and live as a soldier in boot camp. This is, this is going to show up on the battlefield. Yeah, it is. And the stakes are high. Okay, so I want to lock these things in. Speaking the truth in love. Caring more about... So when I don't do that, it's usually because I care more about my standing with others than I actually do care for the others. What do they think? What are they going to say? But of course, Jesus models this for us and all the New Testament writers do as well. So the challenges here, of course, are when you speak the truth to someone who doesn't want to hear the truth. Because not everybody does. There's plenty of people who suppress the truth in their sin. They not, not only do they not want to hear it, but they will manipulate it and go to suppress it. And if you're immature, you'll be played. If you're immature, you'll bite. If you're immature, you'll start to negotiate with what I call as an emotional terrorist. But you need to have the policy of the United States government. We don't negotiate with terrorists. We don't negotiate with emotional terrorists. We don't negotiate with spiritual terrorists. We don't negotiate with any kind of terrorists. We just speak the truth in love. Not, at, not out of rage. Not out of, that's it, I'm fed up. And I want things to be back in a particular. It's, I actually love this person. I actually love people. I love God. I love his kingdom. So I'm going to speak the truth in love. And when I'm a mature man... If I've matured into manhood, then that's exactly what I can finally do. But when you speak the truth to someone who doesn't want to hear it, they'll accuse you of not being loving. It's their automatic play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're already stepping out in boldness going, this is loving. This is good. This is true. But if you say things to me that I don't want to hear mm-hmm. and it bothers me at all, my immediate, fl- it's just my flesh. Mm-hmm. Even in my own flesh, my immediate default is going to be like, Chris, you're just not being, I'm okay with what you're saying, Chris, but it's the way you're saying it to me. And now I'm trying to get Chris back on his heels. So he's like, oh man, maybe, okay, buddy. Well, JM, all I meant was, I'm like, yeah, you need to quit while you're ahead. Like, I want to say everything I can to get Chris to back off. Stop. Don't come to me with that. I'm trying to manipulate him. But Chris, being a mature man, is going to go, hey, JM, stop. Stop with the nonsense. I love you, man. I'm calling you out. I'm telling you, it, it is this way, and I'm telling you because I love you, and I don't like that. And I cold shoulder Chris, and I don't speak to him anymore. But that's not Chris's fault. Chris was faithful, and he loved me well. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. They don't stab you in the back. They stab you right in the stomach, right where you can see it. They go, hey, uh, and you go, uh, what was that for? And you needed it. You know, it's the enemy who will do it in the back. And you go, who was it? Where did it come from? So speaking the truth, with what motive? With love. That, that will mean, that will mean we, we, we're, we want to embody all the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And yes, even when I'm correcting somebody else's sin, I have to be careful. Lest I don't fall into temptation. You think you're doing well to stand? Take heed, lest you fall. So lots of humility here, lots of love here, but the work still must be done. Like, is, do you have to, is there a certain way you have to go about taking out a, a Nazi machine gun bunker? Yes. But you can't let all the concerns that go along with it stop you from taking out the Nazi machine gun bunker. At the end of the day, the bunker still has to be taken down. 
It has to happen. Well, if you go this way, they might do that. If you go this way, they might do that. If you go this way, they... Okay, so what's the play? Maybe we should just, you know, go around it. No, 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 no. We came here to kill Nazis. That was the point. We've got to take out this bunker. This is a strategic moment, and this is what must be done. Christian, we came here to make disciples. This is our purpose, to make disciples, to do the work of the ministry, to disciple one another like we are, and to disciple the world around us. There is no like... I think I'm going to flank this thing and just go to heaven when I die. That's not what we signed up for. Or maybe it was. <laughs> maybe we thought we were. I just want to go to heaven when I die. I hear the hell's unpleasant and hot. Is that right? Yeah, okay. Sign me out of that one and sign me on to the other place that's not miserable. Well, there is a hell to shun and there is a heaven to gain. But a child thinks only like that. And as we mature into manhood, we go, there's a kingdom to advance. There's a work to be done. So we will speak the truth in love. We will move forward. A mature man is built on Christ as the rock. That's why the words of a cunning human won't move him. He's loving instead of only selfish. So he's willing to withstand any amount of pressure. This is what I think about when Jesus talked about be wise as serpents and be as harmless as doves. I, for a long time, was very good at being as harmless as a dove. But it made me very easily manipulated, very easily pushed into a corner. I start to say something and somebody would be like, oh, you're doing it wrong. And I'd go, am I? Maybe I am. Ah. Got me totally back, just naive. I'm as harmless as a dove. So our motive is never to harm, but I had no wisdom to recognize that there's a lot of evil people in the world. It took me a long time to actually believe the Bible that there are people who are deliberately suppressing the truth deliberately suppressing the truth. What are you going to do with them? Are you going to love them? But we're going to tell them the truth. <laughs> love them by telling them the truth. Not from a closed fist, but with a, strong, with a strong declaration about the king and his kingdom. Wise as serpents. As a, as, again, as a child, when I would read my Bible, I remember reading that and being like, I did not like that Jesus told us to be anything like a snake. I personally hate snakes. Hate snakes them. I love to kill them. It brings me pleasure and joy. (laughs) But I didn't like how Jesus referenced snakes at all. I want you to go be like snakes? No, Lord, we're we're just going to be sheeps in your pasture. Well, in a sense, that's correct, and there's a time and a place, but wise as a serpent, understanding, understanding. Like, how does a serpent move? A serpent is serpentine. A serpent's hard to hit, right? But in my naivete, in my harmless as a dove, hey, let me show you every card in my hand. Let me show you everything I'm thinking. Let me show you everything I got. Jamichael, that may seem wise, but it's naive. That's your immaturity and that's your naivete to show everything that you got, to show everything that you can reveal to someone who you're hoping is not an enemy. It took me time to learn that there are many enemies in the world. You have many enemies, church. You might not think that you do. But when you define an enemy this way, I define an enemy, and I've been talking to my boys about this lately. I define an enemy as anyone who would rejoice over your suffering. Anyone who would have any pleasure from any amount of downfall for you. If they heard your business took a tank, would it please them? That's an enemy. If they heard, that, uh, if they heard something bad happened to you and your family, if they heard that you were destitute, if they heard that there was illness, if there was any sort of, any sort of snub in their nose, that, that's an enemy. Your enemy may not be trying to murder you, but you definitely have enemies. And the more mature you go in Christ, the more truth you speak in love, the more enemies you will have. Because 
you've said things that offend people's flesh. The gospel is offensive all by itself, even without John Michael getting involved, and John Michael gets involved. But the gospel message is by itself offensive. You're doomed. You deserve hell. You're sinful. You're not worthy. You're not enough. You're not anything apart from what God says. And you must repent and believe the gospel. That's offensive. That's a hard thing to hear for a hard heart. So you're going to gain enemies. You're going to have enemies. This is why we've got to be wise as serpents. How do we get wise? Being equipped for the work of the ministry. Maturing, enjoying the unity that we have in the body of Christ. But this is where the maturity comes from. It comes from the process itself. It comes from being together. This is part of it. Sunday morning worship is a part of maturity, but it's not the whole picture. Our continued fellowship builds us up. Our continued relationships build us up. And then we are fully, more fully equipped for the work of the ministry. I'm going to flip to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus talking about similar things here. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So this is the difference. What makes the difference? Being built on the rock. What is the rock? The word of God. Without the scriptures, without knowing who God is, what he's like and what he cares about, I can't know anything. I am going to be like a child. I am going to be immature. I'm going to go, well, I heard this. I heard that. I heard a sermon one time. Well, did you hear the word of God? That's the important thing. I've heard a lot of things in my life. The things that are true and stable come from the scriptures. Build your life on the rock. We'll finish now in verse 16 of of Ephesians 4. I'll do 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him. Grow up into Christ. Grow up looking more like Christ from whom the whole body. Remember the language he's using here. Body parts, head, body. The whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped and each part when it's working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Every part in the army is important. We need everybody. We need the front lines. We need the back lines. We need the air. We need the submarine. We need every dimension that we can get involved in what's taking place. That's when we're building ourselves up. Building ourselves up first. Not even the public ministry yet, facing out to the world. First, Loving one another. And loving one another, of course, is going to lead to back, back into mission. The body does its part. And when the body does its part, we grow up to look like Jesus. So the Lord has given the ministry gifts, the five gifts that we had referenced earlier. But those aren't the only gifts that he gave. Those are just a particular list of leadership gifts. Just a particular gift of leadership, offices, whatever you want to name them. That shouldn't give them more prestige. There is a place where they have to be honored because they have authority. So they need to actually be able to use their authority for the good of the church. That's the point. So there's a, there's a point there. But you have gifts. And it doesn't matter that you're not an elder. It doesn't matter if you're not a prophet. And maybe you are those very things as well. 
And we just don't know that yet. But that's the point is you have gifts. And the point is you don't look to the pulpit for you do it and I'm just here to support. No, no, no. We're doing this for the king. This isn't John Michael's church in the sense that I'm the pastor. This is my church in the sense that, yeah, this is, this is my church. This is, this is my church. Hey, buddy, I'm glad you're in my church. I'm glad to be in church with you. It's not mine. We're doing this all for the Lord, but you all have giftings. And, well, I don't know what they are yet. Okay, well, start to be with the body, start to fellowship with the saints, and that comes in time. Yeah. You know, Hudson is only seven. We're still not sure what all the giftings are. We're starting to see some things. Elijah's 14. We're starting to see even more. So it comes with time. You don't have to be panicked. You don't have to run, what's my thing? What's my thing? It doesn't have to be like a Christianized personality test where we're panicked and worried about, who am I? You're a child in the kingdom and you're loved. Amen. And there's plenty to do. Waking up and following Jesus tomorrow is a great start. Waking up and following Jesus and participating with the saints and bringing your gifts to your body of Christ, to the local congregation, is a powerful and important place to start. And in doing so, start the practice of speaking the truth in love. The truth about yourself, the truth about others. I emphasize largely in the message the, the, the word for someone else that they may not want to hear. But speaking the truth, I may need to speak the truth about me to you. I mean to tell you something. Hey, how's your week? It was fine. It was fine. It was good. It was fine. Is that the truth? Mm-hmm. Was it? Well, tell, tell the truth. Tell the truth. Hey, you know, it was actually hard. Actually, I could use some prayer for this. Hey, you know, uh, I appreciate if you got any encouragement along those lines. That's where we start. So that we're not just, hey, good morning, hey, hey, good morning, hey, good morning. Oh, I forgot to smile. Hey, good morning, good morning. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm great. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. I mean, if it is, good. We want that. That's our ideal. We'd love to be there. How are you doing? I'm blessed. I, I know what the Bible says about you. I'm not asking, what does the scripture say about you? I know all of that. I'm asking, was that your experience this week? I'm asking, were you walking in that revelation? Are you... Can I support you? Are you weak right now? I'd love to be strong for you. I'd love to do that. Hey, P.S., I'm weak over here. I'd love some strength in that. This is where, ooh, now the joints are working. The ligaments are working. This body is feeling healthy. This body's feeling strong. Now what do we have? Now we have a weapon. Now we have a healthy church that has cared well for one another. And this healthy church, not a perfect church, but a healthy church is equipped to go out into battle or more appropriately to go out into the harvest because the harvest is ready the harvest is waiting there's nothing wrong with the harvest it's the laborers that there's few of but by god's grace that's changing heavenly father continue to mature us continue to equip us help us to see more and more what it looks like to love one another well so that we can love this world well ultimately because our greatest goal is to love you well We want your kingdom to fully come. We want your will to be fully done here on earth as it is in heaven. You're a king overall. And there's so many loved ones that we care about, God. We've got friends and family in mind right now, a particular person, maybe even a stranger in in the place where we, we shop. But these people, they need to hear the good news. We got brought into the kingdom. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. They should be brought in as well. Keep strengthening your church, God. Make us healthy. Make us holy. Holy and set apart for your work. Keep changing our perspective and maturing us. Turning us not into children, but into mature men who see things the way you do. Wise as serpents, 
harmless as doves, and effective as Jesus. We thank you for sending us out into this harvest. We thank you for this Advent season now as we begin and we joyfully count down the days to where we celebrate the birth of the King. God, I pray for the church that you would make this a a special Christmas season, that it would be a, a time where hearts are drawn near to you. Do this, do a revival in us in the coming weeks, Lord. Personal revivals. Draw us into the scriptures. Draw us into devotional resources. Draw us into prayer. Draw us into worship as we honor all the work that you did, but in particular as you came, the incarnation to save the ones that you love so much. Thank you for leading the mission and leading us into it. We love you in Jesus' name. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.